theyeshiva.net. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome, everybody. So we started the Mimer, Leviosam Zeyat Tzartelasachig Boy, from the Kudotator Shmini Dafyut Ches, the bottom of column one, or page 35, the bottom of column one, it says Parsha Shmini. Trying to explain the enigma of the famous Medrash, Medrash Rabba Parsha Shmini, about this battle, this uh, gladiator-like battle, this epic, epic showdown between the great whale, the Leviathan, and the great awesome wild ox in which they end up killing each other. The ox killing the fish through its uh, horns by stabbing it with its horns. And the fish, the whale, killing the ox by stabbing it with its <coughs> mighty fins, with its pointy mighty fins. And this becomes the feast, the feast of the tzaddikim, the feast of the righteous during messianic times, known as Sudas Luvyasan and Sher Habar trying to explain the enigma, including the fact that as the Medrash justifiably wonders, this is inconsistent with halacha, because the shechita is disqualified. And the Medrash has to answer that Torah chadasha mi'iti teitzeh, chidush Torah mi'iti teitzeh. You're right, it is inconsistent with halacha. But it's a psachidish of Mashiach's times that the Rebbeinu Shalolam is going to be matir, is going to give a special heter, a dispensation for this particular feast. But the whole Indian, of course, is Deirish beer. It needs an explanation. So in order to explain all this, the Balatanya began discussing that there are two types of tzaddikim. Those who he calls tzaddikim who live b'seser and those who live begoli. B'seser means more concealed fashion. Begoli means in a more revealed fashion. And the example he gives for it is the difference between fish, fish in the seas, and creatures of dry land. Says the Zohar, that there are souls who may walk on the earth, but essentially they have the characteristic of dogim. It's called Nune Yama the Oslan Beyabeshta. Nune are fish, Yama of the sea, the Oslan, which walk. Be a beshta on dry land. Very uh, fascinating expression of the Zoya. They walk on dry land, but essentially they're dugim, they're fish. And what's the characteristic of fish? The first is they're concealed. Kamayim layam mechasim, they're under the water. And when you look at the ocean, you look at the ocean, what is it called? The ocean bed. The ocean bed. So sometimes you could see a couple of fish, you know, especially if you look good, but the full, universe of fish, the amounts of fish, the different species of fish, characteristics of fish are concealed. It also represents, as we will see soon, the fact that it remains always in the water. It never detaches from the, it never leaves the water. It always remains submerged in its source of life. Creatures on dry land, both you are visible, and even though we all need the earth, nobody could, uh, could uh, live without earth because as a result of earth, we have our, our nutrition, our food. Whether you're eating vegetation, you're eating produce, or you're eating even animals which depend on the produce. In, ter- in addition to the oxygen, to the oxygen and the various uh, necessities created by the delicate balance of the ecosystem, we all need the earth. But nonetheless, a human being is not necessarily... A human doesn't have to be connected to the earth, or even more, submerged in the earth. On the contrary, when a person is submerged in the earth, it represents the the cessation of life, the end of life. There is a separation. Even when we're standing on the earth, there's the earth and there are the creatures that are above the earth. Where fish are submerged in the water, you don't see them in their connectedness to life. They're completely submerged. It's, it's, it's so extreme. There's a shit in halacha, in Mishnayis, shit of Rabshimam and Gamliel, 
that fish don't constitute a chatzitza in mikvah. That if a fish comes, interposes between your flesh and the water, it's not a chatzitza. The halach is not like that, because the sages argue with Hibshem Ben Gamliel. But it just shows, it shows the thought process that he even saw fish as a continuum of water. Their mitzias was nothing but the water. So even though it's fish, it's not water. You're not in the mikveh, you have fish, creating a chatzitza, creating a separation. Nonetheless, Yab Shimon and Gamliel, one of the great Tamayim holds, it's not a chatzitza. Why? Because their relationship to the water is so profound that you could define them exclusively in terms of water. Their very entity is water. You'll never say that about a dry land creature in relationship to earth. Of course, we need the earth, we depend on the earth. The Pasuk says in Kaihelas, Ecclesiastes, Kalhoyim in offer. But there's still a sense of independence. On the contrary, when a person is submerged in the earth, it means the earth has become a grave. So paradoxically, what it means, what it means is, and this is very, uh, it's, it's a, it's a very profound idea. What spells life for the fish spells death for the human and for the dryland creature. And what spells life for us on dryland spells death for fish. If you would tell a human being, you're so close to earth, why don't you go inside? It's impossible, we can't live that way. Huh? Or in the water, right? Of course not. The fish, you say, oh, you're dependent on water, you know, just you'll, you'll float above the water. You can't float above the water. I have to be covered, I have to be submerged in the water. My whole entity has to be inside the water to the point that you don't see me, you see water. What does this represent on a spiritual level? This is a marshal. Ah, right? So Rabbi Akiva gave the famous marshal in Bracha Samachalaf of the fish and water. So you have souls, you have souls that are called Nuneyama. Yeah. And they are submerged in the water. What does it mean submerged in the water? We all receive our chios, we all receive our life, our oxygen, our vitality, our stamina from the divine energy. But creatures of dry land also need the earth. We can't live without the earth. But in our consciousness, there's the earth and there's I and it's two distinct entities. And in fact, we can also enter into a position where we're physically detached from the earth. We're not even standing on the earth. In fact, you could spend many days and many weeks on an airplane or in a spacecraft far, far above the earth. But even when you're standing on the earth, there could be many separations between you and the earth, like we're right now in a building. And even when a mom is standing on bare earth without shoes, barefoot, but it's still, I am on top of the earth, even though I need it. The fish, its relationship with its source of life is submerged. You don't even see it. What you see is the water. What does this represent? That there are two types of lives. There's a life which doesn't see the I as an identity outside of its source of life. It experiences itself, not as a self, but as a Shurim Ben Gamliel will say, there's no chatzitza. It's not even a partition. The very experience of the self is an extension of the water, part of the water. And then there is the experience of dry land where there is a certain sense of, of, of ego, of self-consciousness, of self-awareness. In fact, it can't be without it. Because without that, we wouldn't be alive. And the, the, the part of the definition of life is I. That is part of the definition of life. And I have to work with that I. I have to deal with that I. I have to confront that I. Ayeka, where are you? There is also, of course, connected to this, the difference. The fish are concealed. Those that are on dry land are revealed. And it's all interconnected with each other. There are two types of tzaddikim, two types of, of, of good people, of, of righteous people. And as I said, we're not just talking about certain individuals, although yes, there are certain individuals who embody it, but this really relates to every person. And sometimes a person can have both dynamics. And uh, Balatanya gave the example of the first one, the Rajbi, the Ariza. As I told you, there's another text of the same Maimer, where he also says the Balshemtiv. 
and adds in parentheses, and I don't mean that it would, they were only on this level, the Arizal, but they also had this aspect. Well, sometimes you can have both aspects, also an important ta'ara. And this is really rooted in Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe is called Moshe. Why? Because the daughter of Pari said, I have drawn him out of water, which is a very strange thing. She's drawn him out of water, that's true. She found him in the water and she took him out of the water. Why does that become his eternal and timeless and everlasting name? To the point that it trumps all the names that were given to him by his parents. Most people don't even know the real names of Moshe that his mother gave him, that his father gave him, that he got perhaps during his bris, whatever type of bris he had, because he was born circumcised, but it's called Hatafas Dampus. But the original names most people don't know. Yeah, it's in a Medrash of Ayikra. If you look at the Medrash of Ayikra, you have there all the names. Ten names. Chaver and Toiv and Tuvia and Yikusiel and, and so forth. The name that we all know is an Egyptian name that was given to him by an Egyptian woman many months after he was born because she found him only three months after he was born. So the name couldn't have been given three months, it couldn't have been given before three months since his birth or maybe it was given at a later point. Yet that is the name that the Torah chooses and throughout all of his, all of, throughout his entire life that's the name that we're familiar with. The Rebbeinu Shaloylam embraces this name because this name in many ways captures the essence of Moshe. The essence of Moshe is that he was drawn out of water. In other words, even when he's on dry land, he's essentially a water-like creature. Kamayim layam achazim, he's submerged in water. Which is why Moshe says it's hard for me to communicate. Kvat pek, kvat loshen. Like we learned in other Maimarim, I did the tarid lamiv palat. When you're absorbing, it's very hard to emit. Moshe was so submerged in the source of life, he was his antennas were so in tune with the source of life, the very sense of, of, of verbal communication requires a certain sense of, of self-assertion, which now turns me into a communicator. Right? That's why people who are very, in the negative sense, people who are very insecure and, and very unsure about themselves, it's very hard for them to open their mouth because it's, it's a certain, there's a certain confidence that's needed on the stage, any stage. So that's sometimes very debilitating. You know, a person can't open their mouth, they're, they're too bashful, they're too shy, they're afraid to be criticized, they're afraid to have an opinion, they're afraid it's not going to come out well. And, you know, you need practice for this, and it's important to confront these fears like it is important to confront many fears, besides the fear of uh, jumping over the Brooklyn Bridge. That's maybe not important to confront. But, uh, I mean, it's important. my point is it's important to confront fears that paralyze you, not fears that are healthy, <laughs> like jumping off a roof, huh? I mean, some fears are very good. The body is afraid of doing things that will damage it. Yes, yes, there's no name. You're right, the Torah doesn't say a name. The Medrash says, She named him Toiv, she named him Tuvia. But it doesn't say clearly. So the, all these Neshamas are rooted in Moshe. So Moshe also had an aspect of this. Now Moshe did, I don't think he means Moshe only had this aspect. But Moshe also had an aspect of this. And these neshamas are internal souls. And therefore they're concealed on many levels. Physically they're concealed. You may not see their avoida. You may not see clearly who they are, their identity. Their whole avoida, Hashem, he says, is primarily bekavana salev. It's internal, it's spiritual. It's within their own consciousness. It's not necessarily reflected so much in the concrete physical world. As he gives an example of 13 years of Rashbi in the cave, where he couldn't do most of the mitzvahs, because he didn't have an esrig or sukkah or matzah, but nonetheless he performed all the mitzvahs. It's not like he didn't do all the mitzvahs. But how did he do the mitzvahs? He did the mitzvahs like the Avais did the mitzvahs before Matan Torah. The Gemara says that all the, our patriarchs observed the whole Torah before it was given. What does it mean they observed the whole Torah before it was given? They put on tefillin. The tefillin has the sections of Torah that were written in the days of Moshe. So how did Avraham Avinu and Yitzhak Avinu and Yaakov Avinu put on tefillin? Huh? Oh, the answer is, so it says in Zoya that when Yaakov was manipulating the sticks, he was putting on tefillin. <laughs> so what is it, when you put on tefillin with sticks? When Yaakov was staging the sticks by the, by the th- uh, troughs of water, where love and sheep were going because he wanted they should give birth. So the Zoya says, that was Yaakov's tefillin. An example. 
that the maklis, the whole avoid, akudim, mekudim, brudim, and this was Yaakov in his tzitzvillin. Now, what does this mean? What it means is there's two aspects to tzitzvillin. There's the physical, concrete putting on tzitzvillin that we put on every morning, besides Shabbos and Yom Tif. But tzitzvillin has an energy. I told you somebody yesterday a story. Somebody came after davening and he asked me if uh, he puts on Rabbeinu Tams also. He puts on Rashi and he puts on Rabbeinu Tams. And uh, when he puts in Rabbeinu Tams, he says different shiurim. He does different shiurim Rabbeinu Tams, whatever, his tilim or whatever he learns. So he said maybe he should just put in Rabbeinu Tams and say Shema and really do it in Rashi's. So he should be able to be a few more minutes in Rashi's tefillin because since the Allah is like Rashi, so maybe he should spend more time with Rashi's and not in Rabbeinu Tams. So I told him that there were many Jews uh, till today who in Rabbeinu Tams tefillin, they would learn a lot of things. They would learn shiurim Rabbeinu Tams tefillin. I told him a story, it's an interesting story. The Magid, the Magid of Mizrich had a son. His name was Rebavram. They called him Rebavram HaMalach, Rebavram the Angel. And there was a reason he got that nickname. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a mistake. He was HaMalach, Rebavram HaMalach. And uh, when the Balatanya, the Alter Rebbe, came to the Magid, he became very close to Rebavram HaMalach because the Magid made them Chavrusas. He wanted the Balatanya to teach his son Rebavram HaMalach how to learn Nigla. I had to learn Gemara. And he wanted Rebavram to teach us, to teach the Balatanya Kabbalah. So they would learn three hours each day Nigla, and then three hours Kabbalah. It was two Chavrusas back and forth. Huh? So he said he moved the clock back. The Balatanya, Rebavram Malach was a little abstract, so he moved the clock back, because he didn't want the three hours to finish. So let's say they had to learn from three to six, so he would move the clock back. Right? So it was six o'clock, but Rebavram Malach thought it was four o'clock, or five o'clock, so it would continue. Balatanya says that it says in Zoya that Loi Signoiv, after Loi, in the Torah, there's a psik, there's a, a hefsik. Because sometimes Signoiv, sometimes you have to steal. When do you have to steal? So some people have one answer for it. But the answer that he gave for it was when it comes to Torah, sometimes there has to be Signoiv. And he said that those hours that he stole from the Malach were the sweetest, the sweetest learning. Because it says, Mayim Gnuvim Yim Taku. Stolen water shall be so sweetest. And in my military, my gnuvim yim taku. Yeah. I'll call upon him once. Rabbi Avraham Malach was in the middle of davening, and somebody came running to the Balatanya and Beis and said that it looks like he's not going to survive this davening. He was so uh, invigorated and so inspired, it looked like he was at the verge of Kleisa Nefesh. He's going to expire. The, the spiritual voltage is too intense for his body, like the Maisa with Nadav and Aviyu in this week's parsha. The Oed is so much stronger than the Kalim, yeah. He won't be able to survive. So al immediately said they should take off Rashi's tefillin from his head and put on Abin Atam's tefillin. Just do that, just change the tefillin. And they changed the tefillin and Nach Mizapo, uh, he relaxed. Atkan the story. So you need the Havon of the story. The Havon of the story is, I think, the Torah is a mimer that the difference of Chachma and Bina Rabbeinu Tams is Chachma, and Rashi's is Bina. Bina is Rotz Lipcha, there's yearning upwards, and Chachma is deeper, so sure, if you come back down. Since the energy of Rabbeinu Tams is Chachma, higher than Rashi, it's higher than Rashi. The reason why halachically you don't put Rabbeinu Tams tefillin is not because it's lower, it's because it's a higher energy. So you can't obligate people to do it. Alpi Alacha, Alpi Nigla, the reason we don't put Rabbeinu Tams tefillin halachically is because Alacha is like Rashi. Alpinista, Alpikabal, it's because Rabbi Natam's tefillin has a higher energy, so therefore it's not an obligation, it has to be voluntary. But what makes it higher is it's called, and Darizal says that Rabbi Natam is Moichin the Abba, and Rashi is Moichin the Ima, Rashi is the mother, Bina, and Rabbi Natam is the father. Mitzat Bina, there is Rats, Rats are yearning, and Mitzat Chachma is even deeper, one appreciates that Hashem's objective is to be grounded in this world. Sula Mutzavartza. So that's what I think the Pshat is, that when you put on Rabbeinu Tam's tefillin. Now I put on Rashi's Rabbeinu Tam's tefillin. I don't feel nish bin and nish chachma. I don't have not rots, I don't have to be backgrounded. Yeah. Huh? There's a fourth, the Shemusha Rabbah and Raivet. Yeah. There's Rabbeinu Rashi, Rabbeinu Tam's Shemusha. Shemusha Rabbah and Raivet are both Kesser. They're higher. One is Arich, one is Atik. That's why Shemusha Rabbah and Raivet are even more rare. Rabbeinu Tam is brought in halacha that a Yerei Shemayim should be machmir and put on both pairs of tefillin because according to Rabbeinu Tam, if you only wear Rashi's tefillin, you would never yoytze the mitzvah of tefillin. 
It's not the halacha. The halacha in Shulchan Aruch is like Rashi. That's why many Jews put on Rashi's tefillin and they're Mekayim Mitzvah's tefillin. But according to Rabbeinu Tam, if you don't put on Rabbeinu Tam's tefillin, you would never Mekayim Mitzvah's tefillin. Huh? Personal agenda. I wouldn't call it that way. I wouldn't call it that. So uh, you have to, when it comes to Chassidus, you have to cultivate uh, the idea that there's real refined people. You deal with very, very refined people. I know we live in a cynical world where everything is, we think everything is politics and corruption and agendas, but it's not. The world of Chassidus is a very pure world. The world of Chassidim is sometimes pure, but the world of Chassidus is a very pure world. So, uh, so, Rabbi, so, what do we see from here? What's the point? On the other hand, I could sit and meditate about tefillin. I didn't do the mitzvah. There's the energy of tefillin. There's what tefillin represents. Yaakov, with, with the sticks, was doing the mitzvah of tefillin. Rashbi and the Maidi didn't have tefillin. He didn't have, as he, he doesn't say tefillin, he says didn't have matzah, didn't have esther, he didn't have sukkah, he didn't have wine for kiddush. But the, the, the internal, the internal energy, the consciousness that every mitzvah draws down from the Ein Soif, that these tzaddikim not only had, but they focused on primarily, that was their main experience. Then there's the other category of tzaddikim who say, he says that their main avoid is, is with their physical body in the physical world. And the main avoid is maisa, pashat action, in a very material way. As he says, v'samachta b'chagecha, ein simchelo b'basav, ein simchelo b'yayin. Pashat, to eat the meat of the karbonas, shalmi simcha, the time of the Beis HaMikdash, or to eat, drink the wine in today's day when we don't have the basa of the Beis HaMikdash. The Balatani said it's not pshat that it's the food itself that makes you happy. Eating steak makes you happy. It's that this physical act is a vehicle for Hamshachas Ein Sayyid Baruch Hu. There's a special, it's a vehicle for the drawing down of infinity. There's a special opportunity on Yom Tif to become in touch with Ein Sayyid. There's a greater revelation or a more intense revelation that is available if the person opens himself up or herself to it. And there's the methods that the Torah gives through which you could easily or more easily connect to this energy. These are the channels, these are the tools, these are the instruments. Sometimes the instruments are very physical. So their focus of Yiddishkeit is in a very concrete way. And he continues. You see, Yudches column 1, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, on the bottom. Five lines from the bottom, Yudches column 1. You see, your page 35. The primary flow, the, the energy that flows on Pesach, you can experience through matzah. A person will say, I'll do a seder with meditation. Make sense? What does matzah do with freedom? You want to be free, let's sit. Get rid of all the matzah and all the murder and everything. And let's talk about freedom. Let everybody talk about their insecurities and try to be free, which is a good thing to do at the Seder. But nonetheless, the mitzvah of matzah, the physical mitzvah of eating matzah, is what accesses the, the divine energy of Pesach. Shavuos is matan Sukkot, you need a sukkah, you need luluf, you need a dalad minim. And without that, Iyav shalam shechklal. He won't be able to access it. But Rashbi, who represents Leviosan, Leviosan again is the large whale in the water. Represents the fish of the sea, who walk on dry land, but essentially they belong to the sea. So he can access the energy internally, not in a visible, concrete way. And not through visible, concrete actions, even in the cave. How? Through Yehudim, through spiritual unifications, through Aliyah, through spiritual ascents. Now the truth is, You can't Lahagiyah, usually we touch Lahagiyah to reach, to attain. But in Yiddish, the writer translated it, because Al-Balatanya used to say that my modern in Yiddish. So he didn't want there should be an erroneous, an erroneous perception. So he says, Unridin Belashin Yiddish. You see, Unridin Belashin Yiddish, or Belashin Ashkenaz. Probably Belashin Yiddish, huh? To touch, yeah. Lahagiyah doesn't only mean, yeah, Lahagiyah to reach. 
but Vigiyanu means Meloshin, like Vatigaber, we just had Purim, Vatigaber Rosh Hasharvet, right? She touched, which really is the idea of reaching it. When you touch it, you've reached it. So he says, you can't touch the divine. Mekenisht Anririn. Mekenisht Anririn. So when, when you translate it Anririn, you could say, Eif Shalin Goya, huh? The Grechen, right, the Grechen. Huh? Naga, right. Right, not touch. That's what he wants to say. Not reach for. Lahagia would mean you can't reach for, but tagia to touch. You can't touch the divine. Ide avoid the only through physical acts. El only through the internal ruchnis the consciousness of these tzaddikim. which is why they're called the fish kedogim elu shayom just like the fish which the sea covers over. They are also from the world known as Almadis Kasya. Two terms we have in Zohar. Almadis Kasya and Almadis Galia. Almadis Kasya means the concealed world. Almadis Galia means the revealed world. I'm going to explain these terms a few times and I hope after a while you'll be able to internalize what they mean so when you come across these terms they will trigger your memory. Almadis Kasya doesn't only mean a world that is invisible and Almadis Kasya is Galia world that's visible. Yes, it means that. But it, it represents a very profound idea. We have in our own lives, you have your own Almadis Kasya and Almadis Galia. Almadis Galia means the world you're familiar with. The world you're, that's revealed. Let's call it the conscious. Almadis Kasya is the world you're unfamiliar with. The world that is concealed. Yeah. On a deeper level, let's go to the next stage. The fish are in the sea. That's a concealed world. You don't see it. The dry land creatures are in a revealed world. On dry land, as I explained before. On a deeper level, what does it represent? Almadiskas, it doesn't only mean I don't see them because they're under the water. It means it's a different type of life. It's a life in which the eye is concealed. Like the fish, the eye of the fish is submerged in the water. What do you see? You see the water, you don't see the fish. Dry land creatures, there's no eye submerged in the earth, unless the person is buried, which means they died already. Life means you're not submerged. You stand out, you're visible. What does it mean in spirituality, in Ruchnius? You have neshamas, that for them, what does life mean? Life means that there's no eye. You have other neshamas, for them, what's life? That there is an eye. (laughs) If there's no eye, they can't live, it's death. And that's the paradox. For what for one is life is for the other death. What for one is death, the other one you know, sometimes certain people they love certain things, and for another person it's a punishment. What for one person is life is for another like covered. Take covered, yeah? For one person it's life. If he gets covered, it justifies his whole existence. And for another person it's the greatest punishment you can give. Why? It's it it's the greatest distraction from his essence. Go explain it to a person for whom everything is covered. This is, this is the language he knows. He doesn't have another language. Why? Because he lives in a very small world. And in this world, I'm going to get a little covered, a little attention. You know, suddenly I'm alive. You acknowledge me. You acknowledge me. You acknowledge me. And for another person, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like you'll force me to play with uh, fire engine trucks for the rest of my life. You'll give me fire engine trucks with cotton candy, with lollipops for the rest of my life and put me in a sandbox and say, celebrate. For some people, this is life. This is the essence of life. And so it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. The greatest distraction to life is the eye. The greatest distraction. What for some people is the essence of life, for some people is, leave me alone. So Alma Diskasya means... You live in a world that is mechusa. What do you mean it's mechusa? For me, the essence of life is that I don't feel myself as separate. All I feel is the unity with my source, and the source is what's felt. I'm not distracted by my own existence. I'm a conduit for the oneness of divine energy. And then there are neshamas of Almadis Galia. That no, they live in a revealed world. And a revealed means, means a world of separateness. That's the world they live in. It's two different souls, very different types of souls. Nuniyama, it's a, it's a fish of the sea. The hest, do the hest? Fish, fish. 
No, Nune Yame, the Oslan Beyabeshta. It moves around, but always in the water. Avadit moves around. It moves much faster. We'll soon see, not only it moves. Yeah. And Aramaic. Aramaic and Hebrew, yeah. It's an expression. The Zoya was written in Aramaic. Yeah. And the, um, can, the, can the Tzadik, who is the number, the Alma, the Iskalos, be as great as the... Oh, that's going to be the Maimah. That's going to be the Maimah. Who's greater? What's, what, what's the, what's, where, where's the action? That's the circus. <laughs> that's the fight. That's the epic battle of history. Gavaldic a question. But we don't like to ruin. We don't like to spoil the... Uh, we don't like. Well, we don't want to spoil the circus, you know. You don't give away the whole circus before it happens. Akudim, nikudim, and brudim. It says in Chumash that the sticks. You're asking what the categories of the sticks were. Akudim, nikudim, and brudim. I was just giving an example of of a mitzvah that's performed. Brudim, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Torah or Parshas Noyach, yeah. Akudim is bound up, and the Kudim is pointed, and Brudim is integrated. But yeah. I'm saying, as far as the, um, as far as the, uh, the Midos. Right, yeah. It's representative of, it's undifferentiated. Right, yeah, yeah, say a good, say a good. No, but what's the, what's the word for it that we use as far as the Mid? We said, we said Brudim is the Ferris. So what are the other two? I don't remember. I don't remember. But, but the Ferris represents a, a high, harmony. The most integrated category. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about in that sense a tzaddik that is fully integrated. He's like an amphibious creature. So right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So the Balatanya says you can't touch godliness without <laughs> without this without this this type of avoda. They're called Nuneyama, the amphibious creatures. And they always exist. They exist in every generation. They're not necessarily tzaddikim in a revealed fashion. They may be very concealed. Even if somebody knows them, first of all, you may not know, but even if you do know, what you know is, is not what's, what is there. Because the whole avoid is completely internal. It's not visible. And the, the deeper it is, the, the less visible it is, is because it's deeper, not because it's not deep. Sometimes we live in a world where the more visible, the more real. But the truth is the other way around. Whatever is more real is less visible. Because in this ultimate connection of the fish, the less visible, the more submerged, the more submerged, the more alive. The less submerged, the less alive. You tell the fish, I want to see you a little bit. Come a little bit out of the water. <laughs> Let's take pictures and so forth. You lost the chios. You lost the life. Huh? Remember fish, for some reason they jump out of the water. Flying fish. Flying fish. <laughs> okay, I hear. Jump out of the water. They're... Maybe they're bloated and they want to get out. I don't know. I saw fish jump. Right, yeah. No, I've also seen, yeah. baruchu. Powerful words. These tzaddikim are the ones who connect all the worlds to the infinite one, blessed be he. They are the link between heaven and earth. They're the link between the Ein Soif and the world. It's invisible, it's concealed. But in their hearts, in their souls, the worlds, all the worlds get connected to Hashem. The whole reality gets connected. They are like the interlacing link between Ein Soif and all of the Olamas. Because in their consciousness, they bring down heaven to earth and they raise up earth to heaven. Al Derech Sha'amru, similar to what it says in Kabbalah Svarim, say for Haboy or anything. David would connect Torah with the Rebbeinu Shalala. And that's why they're also called Levyas. Not only because the Levyasan is in the water, because then they could be called any fish, but Levyasan, Shuloshan is Chabros. The word Levyasan, like the word Levi, why did Leia? Why was Levi named Levi? The word Levi is Hapam, now ye love Ishi At last, my husband will become connected to me. Like from the word Levia, my husband will accompany me. My husband will, will be part of me. 
There's the famous word from the Haksava HaKabbalah. As long as she has two children, she says, Reuven, I'll hold in my right arm. And Shimon, I'll hold in my left arm. When you have a third baby, now it's time for the husband to kick in. I only have two arms. So, finally, my husband will help me. Because usually for many men, it takes at least three children for them to realize that they're fathers. Not all, but many. Not to compare this to Yaakov. But that's how the Aksava HaKabbalah teaches Hapam Yilav. On a deeper level, there was something about Levi, Levi that Leah felt that now my husband will finally connect to me. He will finally become one with me. Yilava. The word Leviasan, which it's Shairish is Levi, Leviasan is Lashen Hizchabrus. It's a term that represents connection, unification, oneness. That's why they're called Leviathan, because they're tzaddikim who live in the world of connections. They live in the world of ischabrus, of complete oneness, like the fish in the water, no separateness whatsoever. In fact, for them, separateness from Hashem is like detaching yourself from your oxygen. It's like a person will say, I lived yesterday, I breathed yesterday, what do I have to breathe today for? I breathed yesterday, I already breathed. I I ate last week, what do I have to eat this week for? Yeah, A healthy person doesn't speak that way. Why? Because the breathing yesterday will not help me survive today. person will say, but, but I'm, I'm bored of it. What are you bored? You're not bored of it because this is life. For this type, for the fish, being submerged in the water is life. For this tzaddik, a relationship with Hashem, it's not a spice, it's not a, a mission, it's not reward, it's not the right thing to do. It's life. It's life. That is who I am. That is my life. That is my existence. You take it away from me, and there's no me, because the definition of my me is the relationship. It says this tzaddikim in every generation. Every generation. Is it the same concept of tzaddikim in Star? I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily connected to tzaddikim in Star. Maybe. Yeah. You malava samelach. You escort the king. That's that's Mitzray Shabbos. Havdala. We escort the king. That's the shit of Shmuel. Why you make Mitzray Shabbos Yomtiv? You make first Havdala and then Kiddush. Why? Because he says first you escort the king and then you welcome the duke. Yomtiv is the duke. Shabbos is the king. So malava samelach means I escort you. I don't let you go alone. I want to remain connected to you. That's why you escort a guest, right? You don't just say okay, bye, good Shabbos, have a wonderful day. You go to the door. You walk with him a little bit. In other words, you remain connected. The Gemara uses the word melech. Yeah, Malka means a queen, yeah. The same genre, not the duke. So these are escorting, they're escorting the Ain't into the world. Yes, yes, they escort the Ain't Saif into the world, they escort the world into the Ain't Saif, yeah. Yeah. Malka's king, yeah. Oh, Shabbos Malka. No, he's saying Shabbos Malka, sir. Yeah. Shabbos Malkus. These great Sadiqim, by definition, you yeah. never know who they are. It's, you may know who they are if you have a chush, if you have a sense, but it's, it's something that's very internal, that's the point. It's not about visibility and actions. You know, actions you could see. What happens internally is a very deep world, it's a very deep space. From the Russian, it looks like Shaham Tzadikim Shabbos says, Yeah, okay. Yeah, but I think what he means in terms of they are the tzaddikim who are in secret, who are concealed. They say that uh, Reb Mendel Haradaker, Reb Mendel of Vitebsk, was a Talmud of the Magad also. He authored a sefer called Triharetz. He was one of the oldest students of the Magad of Mezrich. He's known as Reb Menachem Mendel of Haradak, or some call him Reb Menachem Mendel of Vitebsk. He passed away ultimately in Eretz Yisrael. He went and made an aliyah and he's buried in Tveria, in Tiberias. They say a Meister that he once, that he was speaking with his students and they said, Rebbe, could you show us a tzaddik nister? You want to see a tzaddik nister, one of those concealed tzaddik? So he said, yeah. They said, who? He said, ich. Me? Without tzaddik nister. So they said, you? You're not nister. Everybody knows about you. So he said, I'll say in Yiddish and I'll translate this. Woe unto me if I would be as righteous as you think I am. 
if my tzitkus would be basically that which is revealed to you. Achon vei, if that would be my tzitkus. <laughs> said about himself, yeah. He was dismissing what they said. Yeah. So sometimes you can even have somebody who's, the Baal Shem Tev was very revealed. Darizal was revealed. Moshe was revealed. Rajbi was revealed. But the Seser is often completely on a different level. That which is Nigla is not even a Tipim and Ayam. Yeah, you know, you know great things. It has nothing to do with the person. It's like, you know, some stuff. Woe to me if how you define a Tzaddik, that's who I am. It's completely in a different space. It's a very humbling idea. So the Kabit Tzaddikim, sometimes there's a Tzaddik who's known in the whole world. But he's really a Tzaddik Nister. Completely Nister. What do you mean completely Nister? There's, you know his name, and you know this, and you know that. The Gansavelt Vest. But it's completely Nister. Mamish concealed. An example of that, what you said about the Rogachava, that he could explain things in a simple way, but his writings were not understandable? Could be it's connected, I mean... No, but I'm saying the level that he had inside... Right, oh, you're saying it was much more inside, yeah. The level of Pnimius was so deep that that which you saw Bechitsonius is not even a fraction. It's like a tiny, tiny fraction. Mm-hmm. Verbal communication was a right, right, level. right. Inside. Yeah, and it's very humbling when you meet, when you see it, it's humbling because it's not something you can own. You can't grasp it, you can't catch it. Things that are revealed, you can also trap. <laughs> Things that are concealed remain elusive. You can't control it. You can't manipulate it. Reb Nochem de Harris was tutzach. So edel lazachem, edel edel kite. They can't be manipulated. It's not energy that you could. I got it. I got it. What do you get? Gilu you can get. Helam you can't get. <laughs> you understand? Huh? Chasing shadows. Chasing shadows. Very good. Yeah. Dubsker wasn't saying um, the opposite, that what the impression that you have of me of being such a great tzaddik, I wish I could live up to that. No. I, inside? May I say no? No, fuck it. No, he was being very honest. He's like, what you know of me has nothing to do with me. Yeah. It's like I take a picture of somebody and I have the, big, I have the person. What do you have? You have a picture? You have a picture? It's nice, it's beautiful. Beautiful how to respond them. You have it hanging in your dining room, in your living room. It's beautiful. But what do you have? You have a picture. Something you can relate to. We're not knocking it. In a chanami. In a chanami. But that's not inconsistent with this bitful. No, no. No. When you're really humble, you can talk about it. You understand? Yeah, yeah. When you're not really humble, then you can't talk about it. <laughs> yeah, when you're really humble, you could say it also. Yeah. Rashbi and Zoya, Rashbi and Zoya says, Ano simona ba'alma. I am only a simon to God's existence. That's my eye. You know, you have a, a, a sign with an arrow. You want to go to the museum, you want to go, go there. It says, Ano, I am, I'm just a simon. You look at me, and you see Hashem. That's what he says about himself. So I once heard from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he said, how can a person say this? He says, because when you're only a simon, you could say because the whole Anah is nothing but a simon. <laughs> when that's who you are, you could say it, because that's who, that's who you are. Raisi Bnei Aliyah ve'hei That's called Bnei Aliyah, yeah, the Gemara in Sukkah. Raisi Bnei Aliyah ve'hei it goes so far that it says in Zohar, it says in Zohar, that it says, uh, the Pasuk says, okay. Then it says, uh, what's the Hashem. Three times a year you should come to see the face of the Master Hashem. So the Zohar says, this is the Zohar, accepted by all Jews, man pnei ha'adayin, Man pnei Hashem. I'm quoting verbatim. Man pnei Hashem. Who is the face of the Master God? Da Reb Shimon Bayechai. This is Reb Shimon Bayechai. How could the Zoya say this? And if you think it's Kabbalah, so you take a look at Talmud Yerushalmi, yeah, 
Hopefully you'll get there. Talmud Yerushalmi. I think it's Maseches Bikurim. Zog the Talmud Yerushalmi. And I quote, the Pesach says in Chavakoik, the Haftarit of Shavuos, Vahashem Beheichel Kotshoi. Hashem is in his holy chamber. Zogdi Yerushalmi, a Gemara. Yeah, it's not a Chiddush Sefer or a Kabbalah Sefer. It's a Gemara Yerushalmi. Hashem Beheichel Kotshoi. Dorab Yitzchak Berebelazer. The Yosef Beknishta de Kesaren. It was one of the great sages when he was sitting in his Beis Medrash in Eretz Yisrael. He's called Hashem Beheichel Kotshoi. Now what happened? Isn't Judaism based on the fact that there's no human being who is divine. There's another other religion like that. Every person is a person, and every person speaks directly to God. There's no of people who are intermediaries. The mitzvah of tefillah is you speak directly to God. Every person has direct relationship. There's no people who are divine. What's the havana here? The havana is that sometimes you have a tzaddik. The bittel is so profound. The selflessness is so profound. It's not that he is God. It, that there's no he. There's no he, there's no, not chas v'shalom, there's Hashem, and then there's a tzaddik, and we're not sure. Chalila. It means that he's completely nothing. <laughs> it means he completely doesn't exist. His very art, again, like the fish in the water, there's no chatzitza. What's that? There's no chatzitza. No chatzitza means he doesn't create a hefzik between you and Hashem because he doesn't exist, because there's no he outside of him being a conduit for Einoid Movada. That's what it means. It means that he reaches a place where he completely transcends his ego. So his whole mitzvah is the chelik elikami mal mamish. If the chelik elikami mal, he becomes a conduit for Hashem. Why? Because there's no he. The moment it becomes ooh, amash tikkel God, then it's avoid zara. And you have to be very careful with this because this is a very idle idea. This is a very refined idea. It's not like there's Hashem and then there's a gadol. There's no such a thing. There's no godless in the world. Jews don't believe in G'daylam. We believe only in God. There's no such a thing. We don't believe in G'daylam. There's one G'dal Hashem What's Pshat Gadol? That you're completely a cotton. <laughs> if there's nothing in you but a conduit, then you're a G'dal. Not because you're a G'dal. The moment you're a G'dal, be very careful. <laughs> there's one Godless Hashem. There's nothing else. There's one truth. When a person is nothing but a conduit, then it's not your godless, then you assume God's greatness. Rabbi Aaron, you understand? The Gemara says in Beis, it says this 12 hours in the day. What does Hashem do during these 12 hours? A lot of interesting stuff. But the most interesting thing that he does is he spends hours toying with the Leviathan. Quite, quite fascinating. What does this mean exactly? To quote the Gemara, the Gemara says, Gimel. Rabbi Yehuda says in the name of Rav, the day has 12 hours, the first three, Hashem learns Torah. The second three, He judges the world. The third three, so now we're already uh, six hours, okay, we're now midday. What does He do in the early afternoon? He nurtures the whole world. From the, from the wild oxen until the eggs of the, of the lice. What does he do? So now we already had uh, three hours, six hours, nine hours. Now you have the last, last set. The last three hours, what does he do? What does he do from three to six in the afternoon? Yeah, when everybody's hoping that the day ends and you can already get home and you're already done at your desk. The last three hours, he sits and he plays. With the Leviathan, Shanema, Leviathan, Zayatzar, to Lusachik boy. To the Santa, to the Santa Gemara. Leviathan, Zayatzar, to Lusachik boy. There was a boy in Yeshiva. There was a boy in Yeshiva. He was, uh, he was in one of the, one of the older grades, I don't know if it was sixth grade or seventh grade, one of the older grades. 
and his Rebbe, his teacher, said over this Gemara, that Hashem every day uh, plays with the Leviathan. So the boy raised his hand, so the boy started to laugh. <laughs> the boy started to laugh. As he heard it, he started to laugh. He gave a smirk. The teacher says, Vos lachstu? Why are you smirking? So he says, I, I find it very funny. I find it very funny that for three hours a day, the master of the world plays with the Leviosa. So the teacher got very angry. And he said, in this classroom, there's no room for this type of litzamas, for this type of mockery and scoffing at the words of our holy sages out of the class. He was a sensitive boy, like many boys, and it hurt him very badly because he was actually, he wasn't mocking, he wasn't scoffing, he was entertained, he was like, you know, huh? he was amused, yeah. I know when I'm teaching, if in middle somebody starts smiling, it's a sign of, of success. Right, Lord, but Krieger is now smiling with a guns upon him. I'm not planning to throw him out of the, of the classroom. Was lachst, or the lachst, right? On the contrary, it means, it means, it means the boy, the boy is involved. That's what you want. You don't want to say, uh, uh, you know, you know, they sit in the classroom. Uh, uh, so you want to call the Hever Kadisha? The kid is laughing. Great, right? So he was very hurt because he, he was really accused innocently and it was, it was a ton of involvement. Like he found it so fascinating, like quite interesting and, and he left. And it really, uh, it really uh, affected him very, very deeply. And although he came back to the class, but it was not, uh, it was not the same. There was a, a, there was a certain betrayal of trust. And, uh, one thing led to another thing and led to another thing and led to another thing. And ultimately he felt that there's no place for him within, uh, Yiddishkeit and the whole yeshiva and the whole tradition. He felt misunderstood. He felt horribly judged. He was stigmatized by this teacher, and stigmatized as a result by other people. And he just felt so lonely and so alienated, and it was so not real and inauthentic. And he was a interesting boy, and he, he, he left. He left. And uh, it took a few years, and he went on his own path. Around ten years later, Ten years later, he was supporting himself as a waiter in a restaurant. A waiter in a restaurant to support himself. He wasn't living at home. Uh, he was, uh, I guess, in his low 20s. And he was a waiter, and he supported him. He had his own little apartment. He did his own thing in life. And there was a certain sense of loneliness and, uh, you know, melancholy, sadness. He was, it was Friday night in the restaurant, and it was rented out by a family for Sheva Brachas. And he was the waiter. He didn't look like a, yesh- a boy who was in yeshiva. He was not dressed like that. He wasn't wearing the garbs. He was just a waiter in a restaurant, which you could come across actually quite uh, quite often. And this family was there to Sheva Brachas. And uh, one of the people who was a relative who happened to be an educator also, a mentor, was invited to speak. In the middle of Shavu Brachas. <coughs> when he saw a rabbi, somebody who looked at him, get up to speak, he right away dashed for the kitchen, which you could see he's not, you know, he was not going to stay. The problem was the supervisor, the manager, said, all the waiters have to stay. I don't want any movement. Wherever you are, sit down. It has to be quiet. Do not move. Don't clean. Don't move. Don't come to the kitchen. Stay where you are. So part of the job was he had to stay in one place, Nabach, and listen to the speech. He listens to the speech, and this this man speaks chas and kalish abrachos. In the middle of the speech, what does he say? He says the Gemara and that Hashem plays with Leviyos, and everything gets triggered. You know how you, you're right there in the classroom. You know when you come back to when, when you get triggered in a certain place, you could smell what you smelled, you can hear what you heard. Your mama's back there. How triggers work? You know they bring you back exactly to the whole experience. And he spoke about it, and this boy was listening, 
and there was something very, um, very refined about the speaker. Something he, the speaker was also an educator, a mentor, a shiva, whatever he was, but a very refined person. And he just felt comfortable in his presence. So after the Shavabrachas was over and they cleaned up and people were leaving, the waiter went over to him. And he says, I want to ask you a question. How do you understand uh, this concept of God toying with the Leviathan? Isn't it like so strange? What is, how do you understand it? So uh, the teacher, this man looks at him and says, I'll explain it to you. It says in, in Chumash Bereshes that Hashem created all of the fish on Thursday. All the dogim and the taninim, right? The great whales, the great fish. And taninim missing a yud. Yeah. So the Chazal say Rashi quotes, everybody was created, of course, male and female, so there could be propagation. When it came to the Levyason, right, Hashem also created this couple, and then he realized that the world won't be able to survive. So it says, Haragas Hanekeva, he killed a female Levyason, Umalchai L'Tzadikim L'Asid Lavai, and he salted it, preserving it for the Tzadikim L'Asid Lavai, part of the future meal. And basically, the Leviathan male was left alone, so there wouldn't be propagation and the whole world won't be destroyed. So he said, so basically the male Leviathan has been lonely ever since. And I think what the Gemara means that God plays with the Leviathan every day is that every lonely person in the world should know that God, three hours a day, wants to be with you. He wants to spend time with you, He thinks about you. So that in your loneliness, you should know that you're not alone. Because here's a fish, some big fish, who's lonely, no partner. And God spends three hours a day with this lonely creature. And it was the Chazal's way of saying that whenever you're feeling lonely in the world, you should know that three hours of the day, God wants to spend time with you. That's the one. And the boy, the boy tells the teacher the whole story, the whole experience. And the teacher tells him, what that story meant more than anything else was that you were lonely. You were lonely in this world. And essentially your your laughter at that moment really was the beginning of an awareness that in your loneliness God is with you. And of course, you know, it, it transformed his entire perspective. It also transformed his entire future. Um, the source of the story is... There's a woman who runs an organization here. I forgot the name. It's for it's for women who uh, who they had to go through a surgery where they can't have children anymore. What's it called? She runs an organization. I forgot the name of it. So she shared it with me. I don't know the person. Ashena Maisa. I shared it here, yeah. So what was that? So I think maybe you would the reason why I put him on the way to town, like yeah, yeah. to limit the energy flow, to do during Rashi. So by taking over the Rashi, so he limited the energy flow to the spot. But Rabbeinatam is a higher energy. But because Rabbeinatam is a higher energy, so therefore, Mitzad Rabbeinatam, Mitzad Chachma, you feel that the Kavana is dafke down here. Mitzad bin a, you could feel that the Kavana rots, so you want to go out because you want to connect. It's had been a rots. It's called rots. It says in Sefer Yitzirah, "Im rots lipcha shuv leechad." If your heart is racing, come back to one. It's had been is rotsui. Bina liba, you thirsty. It's had chachma, chachma is bittel. It's had bittel, you realize that Hashem wants you here. So even if you want to connect to heaven, you have to come back to earth. That was the mistake of Nadav and Avi. Nadav and Avi were great souls. They wanted to kiss God. So they expired.
But what we're saying, Rashi is the hate of the Rama, we're saying Rashi, the Shemel, we're saying the Rama, 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 we're Huh? You can't manipulate it. Yeah, you can manipulate it. It's like fish. You can't just catch fish. They, they, they slip away. Very good. Very good. You can't manipulate such a person ever, because it's completely inside. It's not uh, you don't know what to manipulate with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gonna get. He's gonna get there. He's soon gonna get to the mile of Sher The mile is Hulo, hulo, said discrimination. Afpam. Evet ufei benun neyame biz de himlen. The nachvat is not the number of the. Tisa. Ein shup, ein shup. You spoke about movement, movement. Yeah, we're soon going to see tomorrow. Beis Asha. Maybe we'll be able to finish it this week. It's a moira de moira de When I first started in the yeshiva, I, I, I was very, very full of myself. I was a very big. You? And then they had a class, they had a five week class in uh, modesty, Anivas, and I became a very big fan. <laughs> they used to say, Amaisa, that uh, in the city of Minsk, they said there was a cat of Anovim, there was a group of humble people who would come together. So they told a story to a big chassid, his name was the Rajbats. So he said he has three questions. It was a secret group. A se- it was called a secret cat of Anovim. <laughs> Anovim, humble people. You me, So he said he has three questions. I heard this years ago. Question number one was, how can there be a group of humble people coming together? Question number one. Question number two is, if they're really humble, how do they know that they're humble? And question number three is, if it's a secret, who revealed it? <laughs> First taste. I love how uh, they have in Jewish magazines and newspapers, this week is a scoop. We're going to take you into the internal world of this and this person. Really? How internal is this world? And if he let you into that world, how internal is he? <laughs> Where's the Yerushalmi? You learn Yerushalmi. You know the Lanslach Yerushalmi. You know this Yerushalmi? Here, I'll look it up. Yerushalmi Mesech is Bikurim. Yerushalmi Mesech to Bikurim. Peri Gimel. Peri Gimel, Halacha Gimel. Zok the Yerushalmi. Vahashem Behechel Kotshoi. Ha, Reb Yitzchak Bar Elazar. Reb Yitzchak Bar Elazar. Beknishta Medrasha de Kesar. Hashem in his holy chamber. This is Rabbi Yitzchak, the son of Rabbi Lazar, when he is in the base Medrash, in the gathering, sitting in the base Medrash of Kesarin, learning Torah, or teaching Torah. The Zayhar, the Zayhar is in Parsha's boy. Yeah, the Zayhar in Parsha's boy discusses the Pasuk about Shalosh Regala. Pasuk says in Kisisa, right? Shalosh Pa'amim Bashana Yera Kol Skurcha. As Pnei Ha'adin Hashem, Eleke Yisrael, three times a year, every male has to be seen, has to come see, and be seen by the face of the Master of Hashem, the God of Israel. So the Zoyar says, it's in Zoyar Parshas Boy, Zoyar Shmois, if you take a Zoyar Shmois, that's Lamed Ches, Lamed Ches Amed Aleph. Zog the Zoyar, Man Pnei Ha'adin Hashem, Do Reb Shimon Bayechoi. Who is the Pnei Adon Hashem? Now, how do we say these words? How does Yerushalmi say Hashem Be'echel Kotshe? What's the meaning? Why would Chazal use these words? 
How do you explain it? How do you understand it? There's a famous Mechilta. Mechilta. Mechilta is from the Tanoim. Parshas B'Shalach. On the Pasuk of Ayaminu B'Hashem U'B'Moshe Avdoi. They believed in Hashem and in Moshe. Zog the Mechilta. I quote. Kol Misha Maimin B'Royet Nemon. Ki'ilu Maimin B'Maimer Misha O'Mavoyot. If you believe in the shepherd, in the faithful shepherd Moshe Rabbeinu, it's like you believe in Hashem. What is the meaning of all of this? How do we understand this? How are we supposed to understand this? You believe in Hashem. What says you believe in Moshe? There's a beautiful Rabbeinu B'chaya. Rabbeinu B'chaya in Parshas Kisisa. Rabbeinu B'chaya says on the Pasuk, V'hoya kol mevakesh Hashem, Yetzi el oil moyad Hashem uchutz lamachina. Whoever was looking for Hashem, whoever was a mevakesh, you're searching for the Rabbeinu Shalom, he went out to the tent of Moshe outside of the camp. So the Barbeinu B'chaya asks, it should have said, V'hoya kol mevakesh Moshe. <laughs> the Pasuk says, Moshe, Yikachesal, Moshe took the tent and he put it outside. Whoever was looking for Moshe went to the oil moyet. Zakhtar Rabbeinu B'chaya, Mikan shenikra Moshe b'shem ha-meyuchad. Here, Moshe was defined. He's titled with the name ha-meyuchad, the name designated for the Rabbeinu Neshalalu Kavayachal. And he brings, that's why the Pasuk doesn't say about Yaakov and Parshas Vayishlach. Vayikra loy keil eleke Yisrael. One of the explanations of Chazal and Rashi and Rabbeinu B'chai is, Vayikra loy keil eleke Yisrael, that Hashem Kivayochel gave Yaakov a name. What was the name? Keil eleke Yisrael, the God of Israel. The God of Israel. Rabbeinu B'chai brings a lot of sources. He says, you see that Sadikim are often defined and they're titled by Hashem's name. It says by Rivka. And Parshish told us, Vatelech Lidrish es Hashem. She went to search for Hashem. Vayoymer Hashem lo. But it doesn't, Hashem didn't speak to her directly. So the regular way we understand it is, she went to a Navi to find out what Hashem's opinion is. But Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says, why would it say Vayoymer Hashem lo? Rabbeinu B'chai says, by Melech HaMashiach, he says, Melech HaMashiach, it says in Yirmiya, Perich of Gimel, V'zesh mo'yak sh'yikru Hashem tzidkeinu. Not Mashiach tzidkeinu, Hashem tzidkeinu. What's the explanation on all of this? So these are the words of Rabbeinu B'chai. He says, V'tam ha'dover b'kulam, listen to these words. Ki ha'dovig b'dover, nikra al-shem ha'dover sh'yidobig b'oy. When somebody is completely connected to something, to the point that his entire identity is the dvekas, the connection to that reality, he assumes the identity and the name of that which he is connected to. He says, Nikra hashliach b'shem hashaleach. A shliach, a real messenger, the Gemara says in Kedushin, shluchoshel adam kemoise, Kedushin mamalaf. A real shliach assumes kevayachal, the identity of the mashaleach. So the shliach is not defined as an I. The shliach is the mashaleach. The shliach is the mashalich. Why? Not because he's bigger, but because he's smaller. Because the true shliach, because the true dvekas, because the true tzaddik ceases to be. There's no I. There's no ego. There's no separateness. That's why he could be called B'Shem Hashem. Man Hashem Because there's no Hashem The whole Hashem is nothing but bittel. He's a conduit for infinity. There's no eye that obstructs the flow of infinity. That's the real tzaddik. <laughs> That's Rav Shem That's Rav Shem That's why. Vayikra loy keila lekei Yisrael. That's Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar explains. Yeah. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.